inspiring you to reach your goals and live your dream. And live your dream. This is the Keaton Nelson Show. Alrighty, today's guest is a successful business coach who helps entrepreneurs make more money, become strong leaders, and find fulfillment in the process. She's a part mind shifter, part business builder, and it's all about doing the work or getting you to do the work that challenges you to be better. She's on a mission to help entrepreneurs succeed in their businesses so they can be the parent, partner, and fun-loving person that they've always wanted to be. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, this is Brittany Drose. Brittany, what's happening today? Hi, Keaton. Hi. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for that intro. Cool, for sure. Um, super excited to have you on here. You have a lot of knowledge to share, but before we dig into that, I would love for you to give people a little bit um, of info on your background, like where are you from, and uh, maybe not all the way to how you got here, but yeah, where are you from? Yeah, um, I was born in Southern California. Um, when I was about seven, we moved up to Portland, Oregon area, and that um, my pretty much my mom's whole family moved up there. And what's interesting about that is from an early age, I kind of got permission that it was okay to explore and start over and try things. And so that's really a narrative that's um, run through a lot of my life. I've lived a lot of places um, in 35 years and recently just moved again. And it, it was really kind of back to those roots and back to that story of, um, of just really being able to create the life you want to. I watched my parents do it. And um, my grandparents all are European. So they've all left Europe at some point um, and immigrated. And it um, and so I don't know, I'm continuing that story in my own right. Um, after school, I went to a college in Hawaii, which was pretty awesome, as you could imagine. Uh, met my now husband there on the beach one day. And, um, and it was great. We were both in the middle of um, exciting like school careers and we kind of had the space to live apart for a little while and decided to you know continue um, seeing each other. So I moved out to Philadelphia after school, which people thought was really bizarre that I went from Hawaii to Philly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it was awesome. I mean, it was so fun to try something so completely different than um, the beach bum life and live in center city and ride my low rider bicycle around to my job. And I felt like a total adult, even though now in hindsight, I wasn't living such an adult life. Um, <laughs> and my husband's a doctor. And so he had his residency in front of him and we moved to Providence, Rhode Island. And that's where we spent the last four. 14 years, which was really awesome, just building incredible friendships, really like establishing ourselves and who we want to be, starting my business, really growing into a career, having kids. And actually, uh, six months ago, so in the fall of or summer of 2021, we moved out to Santa Barbara, California. Um, no, we just to, moved. Yeah, just moved to get some just more moved. sunshine and be closer to my family. That's cool. So yeah. you're from uh, Southern California. Yeah, I was born here. Mm -hmm. And then your parents are, are they still together? Yep. Mm -hmm. Still together? Yeah, they've been married of... 40 years. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And would you say you grew up like rich, poor, middle class? Um, so we definitely, I was definitely, I'd say a middle class um, kid. So my 
so all my grandparents were immigrants and they all have the story, like the money under the mattress, like leaving the war. Actually, my grandfather is German and he was recruited to be in the younger, the kinder army. Um, oh, geez. And it was just a terrible situation. And his dad actually abandoned them and he was the oldest son and he was responsible for like getting them to safety. Even as Germans, you know, there was just so much uncertainty and lack of safety. And so, um, my mom's parents immigrated from uh, through Canada, and um, and so they just had these working class jobs. My grandmother was a midwife and then a nurse, and um, and then my grandfather worked in the railroad building. There's railroad oh, wow. all up, and it's still I hear the train every day, and it's actually kind of sweet. It reminds me of my grandfather um, because he built. He was responsible, you know, for engineering some of these tracks out here. Um, and so that's who they were. They worked hard and, you know, they just kind of like stuck to themselves. And then my parents got to enjoy living in LA in like the seventies oh, wow. and all those things you can imagine that that was in eighties and have a lot of fun <laughs> and a lot of stories that I probably don't even know about, probably um, not. but uh, they were kind of a bit more adventurous and um, my mom started, so there was a huge construction boom in the eighties in LA, really everywhere, but um, huge growth. And cause when they grow up, when they grew up down here, they were riding horses like in fields and shit. And now when you go through LA, you don't see any of that. So it's so much more developed. So my, my father started a framing business and he was um, framing huge houses like up on the Hills and, um, and he was running that. So that was like his business. He started early on. And my mom started her own, um, I guess we call it a they call it catering trucks, but it's essentially like a food truck business that would go to the job sites and feed like you know, workers, workers. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. What kind of food was she cooking up? I don't know if she was cooking as much as it was like preset stuff that she would like buy from a wholesaler and then have it. And she was selling like, you know, to masses and masses. So it had to be food that was like all ready to go. Um, and, and like back then, you know, she was like this 20 year old kid driving this huge like equivalent of a ups truck down like the 405 like crazy huge freeways you know seven lanes like and um and then she had like you know a pocket full of cash at the end of the day because like that's how everyone was paying and, and you know she was just saying she'd make like a thousand dollars in a day in the 80s wow. when you're 20 years old is like pretty wild um but actually it's uh kind of a wild story my dad um, built a house for this prominent person and um, got sued, which happens all the time in construction. And they didn't have the means to beat out this famous lawyer in a lawsuit and um, lost a ton of money, everything really that they had. And, um, and this is when I was a young kid. And then they moved up to Portland, Oregon, because wow. it was much cheaper cost of living back then. And um, my mom's mother and her sister, who she was close with, they were all like moving up there. And she was like, well, let's start over. Let's try something new. or we could have family support. And then when, when I was born, I'm the oldest. Um, but when my, when she had my brother and I, she gave up working, she wanted to be home. And so they radical change from like how you envision your life in your young twenties and how it's going to then making, you know, having some of these transitions happen in their early thirties. That's um, crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think about that. I think about like how nervous I was to move recently and how just uncertain things felt and whatever, but I wasn't, I didn't just lose all my life savings and, you know, not be really sure how things were going to go. And they did that. And, and then also their parents did that when they left in the war and they had literally nothing and didn't even, my grandfather didn't even speak English, you know, like, so I actually come from a lineage of, of these people who had to figure it out. I don't know if they're any different than anyone else though, because humans are so resilient and adaptable. And we forget that in our safe kind of cushiony life here in our convenient Amazon life, you know, that actually we're quite capable beings when put to the test. Totally. Um, So when you were in Philadelphia, just out of curiosity, yeah. what were you doing for work then? Mm. You. I had just, I graduated um, college in 2008. And so everything was crashing. And, <laughs> um, okay. And so I, I also knew that I was only going to be in Philadelphia for a short amount of time. And I knew I was going to go to graduate school. So it didn't, I was already doing my application. So it didn't really matter what I did in that year. So I looked at this as a gap year. So (laughs) I worked in a retail job, which was this super high end retail. And it was really fun because the people who worked there were just in a totally different life phase than I was. Or this was like their career or whatever. And I took like nothing seriously. I like laughed all the time. Um, and then they like offered me a promotion at one point. I was like, are you people serious? <laughs> but I think what it speaks to is like, maybe for me, it was like, whatever, but my like low bar performance was maybe a high, a high performance in that setting. And so that was kind of interesting to me, um, Mm -hmm. how that went down, but yeah, then we left and went to Rhode Island and I got a job. Did you go to grad school in Rhode Island? I did. Yeah. Um, I went to, I've been in two graduate school programs. Um, but right when I was young, like right out of Mm-hmm. undergrad I went to Rhode Island College for mm-hmm. my um, macro master's in um, social work and management mm-hmm. it's a really unique um, program that they have there and it's actually incredibly highly ranked um, and oh they did so much for me it was so wonderful I really really like blossomed there as an individual I knew that I wanted to work one-on-one with people as like a psychologist or a psychotherapist and there's like four or five different types of degrees you can get to do that job. And so PhD, which is all research, not interested. A PsyD, which is um, like a doctor of psychology, but again, it's half research, um, not as much practicum. And there was very, very limited options for those schools. Um, And then the social work degree, to me, looked like the most well-rounded. I got trainings in um, developing programs. I got trainings in public health, in economics, in a ton of management training, Um, and also, you know, human development and life cycles and understanding families. And and so I got this in-depth kind of understanding of what it really meant to be a human in the world is the way that I look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have this set of communication skills 
from this program that serves my marriage and helps me be a better parent and helps me like close sales calls. And just, it's so amazing how it shows up for me. But when I was first using it, they, um, I had this incredible, incredible mentor. Her name is Jayashri Nimagata. And she says so she's from India and she gave me every single opportunity that um, she could find and really showed confidence in me. And I think it really helped me believe in myself and see what was out there and really realize like, oh, you just need to go grab what you're looking for. You just need to go like grab it and go get it and go after it. And she got me into this program in the UN in um, New York City. And she got me a semester in India doing research. And like that changed my life, you know? Uh, sure. Um, it, it, first of all, like anybody who can survive like four months in India <laughs> by yourself and as a female, as a female like, yeah. you know, pretty remarkable. But um, yeah, uh, but it, it just taught me so much about life. And I never will. The, this program did everything for me. It really changed like my outlook. That's awesome. Um, so you graduated from college and then did you go right into starting your own practice as a psychotherapist? Yeah. So I graduated from grad school then. And, um, and then actually my mentor, um, Dr. Numagata, she, she was on a board of a, of a nonprofit and I really wanted to do this like management macro job where I was in leadership and like helping guide policy and execution of programs and is not your typical, like I was not the typical graduate. They wanted to go do clinical work. And so she got me this job as regional director, regional clinical director in Fall River for the Department of Mental Health in Massachusetts. I should not have been. Yeah, right out of college. <laughs> what experience? I should not have been in charge. No. <laughs> At that point. <laughs> but it was like trial by fire. Like just, just like the example of my parents, like there's no choice but to figure shit out. And so that's what I did. I figured it out. One of my um, uh, people that I was directly supervising was twice my age. That's now going cool. into like those supervision meetings was terrifying to me because what was I going to teach this person? But I saw opportunities to develop a relationship, provide support, show her how I in, was invested in her development and creating opportunities for her and supporting her when things were challenging. And age was never an issue because of that. That's cool. I don't think she ever looked down on me. I think she like was scratching her head a little bit at first, like, sure. this is my boss. But <laughs> I think I proved myself, you know, and in that job is kind of goes full circle because, um, I actually got fired from that job No way. for not the reason that you would think. Um, I care deeply about the work. I care deeply about the employees that I work with. I still have actually some of my closest friends because we went through hell together at that job. Um, my boss was so threatened 
um, by how I was coming in and creating relationships. And I was not perfect by any means. I was learning a ton and making mistakes, but I was human about it. I didn't pretend to be better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, we were responsible for like 500 people and their mental health. Um, and in people who were really not mentally well, it was a big job, like making sure that everyone was alive in our services was like a daily check it. And that would happen. So it was seriously not well. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was not a joke, you know, and, um, and the, my boss was terrible at, um, at supporting the employees who were doing the really, really hard work, the frontline work. Um, we got to sit in the office. Um, I had to go out a lot, but you know, they were doing the harder stuff and she was playing favorites and she was asking them to work harder and paying them less. And it was just like, just terrible. Um, and so I, I said like, this has to stop, like, this is insane. And they were really bullying somebody. And I said, I'm not going to stand for this. And so I reported them <laughs> to HR anyone who's <laughs> a whistleblower before I feel you, it does not always work out. So <laughs> I did that. I started a petition about, Oh, geez. Um, Oh yeah. Like I went full force, <laughs> but you don't forget, like the board member was my best friend. And I thought that I could stand on that. Um, and I thought what I was doing was the right thing. And it was all the things that I learned in the classroom about how things should go down. Well, did I learn a big lesson that year about the difference between school and real life? <laughs> and, and so one day I remember I was like shopping in Home Depot for something. And I got the call from like the HR lady that they were, um, going to give me the opportunity to resign. I was like, resign, resign for what? I'm in the middle of a movement. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'm not finished yet. <laughs> and just so you don't and know. That turns out to be the reason that they didn't want me there. <laughs> yeah. And Brittany is like five, three, tiny. I'm fierce. She is fierce. <laughs> what I don't have doubt. in height, I make up for in spirit. Yes. And passion. But it was it's so always been easy. there. It was so easy <laughs> because what they were doing was so wrong that it was so yeah. easy to do the right thing. And it was like not a question for me. Like, of course, I'm going to do this. And I'm definitely not afraid of that lady who says she's my boss. Like she's doing the wrong thing. So yeah. what I learned is things can be a lot more gray than they are black and white sometimes. Um, sure. In my head today, though, I think it's still quite clear that she was not doing the right thing and not protecting the safety of the clients and not protecting the best interests of our employees. And so while I do understand that things are more complex than I saw them in my 25 year old brain. Doesn't mean um, you don't do the right thing. Yeah. I still believe that, um, that this actually was quite black and white and they weren't doing the right thing, but yeah. I understand they saw me as a liability and they saw me as a threat and I had to be let go. And, um, and I didn't let that, I didn't take the resignation offer. I chose to be fired because I did, I saw that as like giving up and giving in. And yeah. so I was like, no, like you could go ahead and you can tell everybody tomorrow at work that you fired me and like, watch what happens. And sure enough, one by one, they left. Wow. And I'm not saying it's because of me, but, um, but I was a support structure for a lot of people there. There was a lot of tears shed in my office, um, on the daily. And, um, and to this day, I have a lot of those friendships because I think I did the right thing. And I think people saw, like maybe I wasn't successful in the way that I wanted the culture to shift and the leadership to see what they were doing. But, um, but I must've made enough of an impact 
And yeah. so that was the start of my journey. Um, actually, from there, I decided to jump right into starting my own practice because I thought, what the hell? <laughs> no time <laughs> like the present. And then I don't need the reference from my last job <laughs> yep. to get a new position. <laughs> the only job I've been fired from was my last job. And I mean, my last job is the, the last job I'll ever have, you know? That's right. Yeah, That's right. I hear you. I That's hear cool. You. Um, you started your own practice of mm -hmm. psychotherapy. Um, mm -hmm. You got to create your own culture. This is a great example of like, when you can't find the circumstances that you're looking for you go out and make them right that's so many right. people will say what they want in one breath and then the next they'll tell you why they can't get it you know yeah. i you know i want to go on a trip to dubai but i can't because i don't have this or this you know but those are just circumstances you go out and make them and you went and did that but i, I know it was probably not in the best way I mean, not the ideal way of doing it, but um, and then you grew that business to over six figures and um, yeah, is your phone working? Um, we're back. Okay. Sorry. I froze up. I can up. hear you, but it's coming in and out. All right. Yeah. Um, it, was, I, it was choppy, but we'll cut this. You can easily. Yeah. We'll pick. Yeah, yeah. 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 For sure. So you so ask uh, me the question again, ask me the question. I didn't hear it. So I was, uh, let's do this again. So you started your, um, your practice, your private practice, and then you scaled it to six figures in nine months. Like you, how did you know how to do this? How many employees did you hire? What did you learn? The lessons to learn with hiring employees and, and creating your own culture. Sure. So um, I, wa I, I actually knew exactly where I wanted to be. I wanted to be at this really nice um, office building and um, they had like a secretary set up to help support you. And so I was um, my own business in there, but, and then I paid into the um, secretary's salary. And so really it was just me. Um, but I had the fire kind of lit under me of this cannot fail. Like this cannot not work because I'm not going back to one of those settings to work my ass off for somebody else. So instead I will just work my ass off for myself until I figure this out. And one thing I noticed right away is that these amazing psychotherapists are terrible marketers. They have no idea about marketing and, um, and how to speak to a client, how to identify an ideal client and how to create copy that, and at, like any kind of advertising or whatever that speaks to, you know to, to that, that person. So that's a really great question. Um, I want to, I want to make sure that I give a really honest answer here, but I bet it's like a mix of things when I really look at it. Um, I think well, number one, I come from a lineage of entrepreneurs. Sure, yeah. So at this exact same time, my dad has been in business for decades. Um, my grandfather had a huge company. Um, so I don't know if I just like learned it like by osmosis of being near these people or my dad's super supportive. So he probably said something to me on the phone, but actually right away, right away when I realized I'm starting a business, 
I started reading like a book a week. I was crazy. Um, I could not absorb this stuff fast enough. And um, in one of the early ones that stuck with me that a lot of my early clients love to talk about is the E-Myth. Michael Gerber um, talks all about creating systems, looking at your business as a systematic process, a series of processes, and that, you know, you should be able to insert any person into process A, B, or C, and the business should run. And so right away, I started kind of like thinking about that. And so I I wrote out a lot of templates um, for communications with clients that made it so easy. And it actually yielded a really high conversion rate for me early on. Now, most people in the industry don't talk this way at all. They just think, oh, people, clients, like they come to you, it works or it doesn't. It's like got to be the right fit or whatever. But I didn't believe that. Like I knew that there was a science to this somewhere and I come from social science background. So I was really adamant on measuring everything that I was doing and trying to figure out exactly what works. And that's how I got to my ideal client, my avatar, which was working with entrepreneurs, I came upon it pretty quickly. So, you know, the trick to the six figures that early was um, working my tail off and, and being really willing to put the sweat equity in, in the beginning. Yeah. I, I want to make a point before you go on too. Sure. Um, is I, I know brilliant psychotherapists, like fantastic. And yeah. They've been at it for years and years and years and have their own decades. practice for, yes, decades. And I think they might be brushing up against six figures, but you know what I, Like, it's not an easy task. Like it's not the easiest vehicle as a business to turn into six figures compared it's to not. Yeah. It used to be easier, but, um, in, when people take insurance, um, they just continue to lower and lower the reimbursement rate, which is a tragedy because, people need the service more than ever. And if we keep doing that, we're going to run all the best people out of the insurance system, which I have insurance. I'd love to use my insurance, but I can't because the person I want to see doesn't take it. Surprise, surprise. Because when you're good and you could make three times as much in an hour, why would you? It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. That's a whole nother podcast. Totally. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I actually got, I, I got a lot of judgment. Um, I felt super judged um, for my approach actually. In what, that why, what was your approach and why was it judged? Um, I treated it like a business. I oh, was, yeah. it's a business. I was, um, pretty like regimented. I dressed up when I went in there. I was super professional. I charged people when they no showed, I collected like all the information up front. Um, but people saw me advertise type thing. So this was like, I started in 2013 and, um, that was like, Facebook was new, uh, ish, new ish. Um, and so my friends and my colleagues like saw me on there talking about my business and, and kind of like marketing and people really didn't like that. Like I did not get support. I kind of got like, Oh, why are you doing that? Or that's not the way that this, that this field works. Like, you know, the right client has to come to you. I'm like, don't you understand that that's a science, that that's not like a, a, a mystical like experience? <laughs> like, right. So um, 
And I just, it was really hard, but I think, I think any successful entrepreneur has this point where there's a bunch of naysayers and they have to just choose to keep walking forward in their own path anyway. And that's when you have to like turn down the volume on the outside noise and stay true to what the voice is telling you inside, even though you're scared to do it. Um, even though all these people are telling you not to, you got to, you know what you need to do. You really do. When you can turn down the outside noise, you know what the internal voice is telling you to pursue the thing that kind of scares the crap out of you, but you know that you need to go do it. That's the thing. And so I was just trudging forward anyway. Um, and, and then I kind of dove into this world of coaching because I realized, oh, coaching is just an excellent tool to add to my toolbox. And the entrepreneurs that I'm working with in this space love it and are responding to it so much more. And I only know this because of the way that I track all the data with my clients and all the results they're getting and the methods and the tools and the time I'm spending with them and what are, you know, and what is that yielding? And so I was really dedicated to that process so that I could learn about them, about me. Um, I paid attention to who I was so excited to see on my calendar and was really honest about who drained me of energy and like what I was in, who I just like didn't want to see anymore. And that's like a really hard thing to hear. I think um, coming from your therapist, but I'm going to tell you right now that your therapist has favorites and it's not because they're a jerk. It's because they are a person. We all have preferences. And if you try to pretend like you don't have them, you don't learn anything. So tune into them. Like they're giving you messages and signals. Yeah. I bet you have favorite clients. Like I have favorite clients. It's true. Right. Um, you got to pay attention to that. And that's how you shape your avatar. And that's how you, you know, learn how to bring let's, more let's dig into that. clients in. Okay. Yeah. Like why is you, um, someone out there owns a business. Let's say they own a marketing company. I don't know. Mm -hmm. How <laughs> should they use that information that you're talking about to shape their avatar? Like break it down. Um, kind of like Sesame Street, ABC. That's a really great point. And so when you, when you already have a business and you already have some clients, you are at a tremendous advantage because this is no longer a hypothetical exercise. This is a real practice. And so you, you can really look at your top two or three favorite, favorite clients. And I, I actually have a tool for this. If you reach out to me, I'm happy to share it with you. Um, but you can really dissect and break down who is that client and start to understand not only who they are demographically, but more importantly, who are they psychographically? How do they make decisions? What motivates them? Um, what are their biggest dreams? What are their scariest fears? What's the deepest pain point that they experience? What's the thing that keeps them up at night? I literally like have these questions and people are like, God, this, this tool is annoying. And I'm like, well, that's right. That's like the level of granularity and depth that you need to understand who this person is so that you can best serve them. But most importantly, so that you can speak to them and grab their attention. Yep. Appreciate the choir here. I've done yeah, those worksheets. They are, they, 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 they put you through it. You know, there's a lot of interesting questions that make, really make you think, but it's the exact, I use those uh, questions sometimes with my my clients to say this is how we got to shape your messaging for who you're oh, speaking to and I'm like yeah it, you want to talk to their either their deepest pain points or their deepest desires and these questions get you to the, the right wording that you need so um yeah. I'll link up but everything coming from a 
coming from a marketing person, like I just, I want to be clear, like I in no way pretend to be a marketing expert, but what I, what I am here to do is provoke your thinking. And so um, I have lists and lists of questions that I use in all different kinds of settings to really change the way that you see. Um, you share those questions? Um, I can share some of them for sure. Yeah. 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 Put them in the show notes. Yeah. Or, or I'll, uh, I'll put your links and people can reach out to you. Oh, basically great. Yeah, Instagram yeah. direct message and everything. Um, sure. Cool. So now you're a coach, you're mm. crushing it. Um, how many, how many years have you been doing this? I just want out of curiosity. I can't remember if you told me. So I've had my private practice. I've had my own business for nine years. What about the coaching um, business? When did you shift from the. That is such a hard, people ask me that all the time. And I say, you know what? The truth is, is that I've been a coach since I had that job. That I okay. Okay. I, I dig that. Yeah. But let's say high ticket. Okay. Is that fair? <laughs> That's like, fair. You can push me. That's fine. Um, high ticket coaching sense. Give me a second here. Um, high ticket is a subjective term, but yes. in my world, creating a package and a service offering that really challenged me, I started that, I got, I think like 2014, 2015. Wow. Yep. And then I've kept finding an edge that feels more and more high ticket for me and more and more of a challenge, but I shifted out of hourly work as early uh, as 2014, 2015. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I broke down uh, one of my clients when I'm getting paid for the time that I spend with them. And it was like $100 an hour. And I was like, so mad about it. <laughs> it was, I was like, that's not enough for all this work that I'm doing for them. And right. So, but, yeah. but pause, pause for a moment. Where'd you come from? Oh yeah. I was waiting tables. Yeah. Uh, so is there a part for of you? a $5 tip, you know? Right. Right. So this is, this is a problem sometimes for my super ambitious entrepreneur friends that I know are listening to this right now. Stop and celebrate. Think oh, about, totally. think about who you were when you would have killed to make a hundred dollars an hour doing anything. <laughs> Never mind, Like sitting in a chair, creating content, Stop <laughs> right? To minimize what you're doing. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not scrubbing, you know, floors somewhere That's doing right. really hard work. Um, that is the hard work, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So in a, in a relatively short amount of time, Keaton, you've completely changed your life. Well, you may have even grander ambitions than where you're at right now and have a bigger vision, which PS, we all should have something that we're shooting for no matter what size it is. Um, we should all be shooting for fuck you money. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay. So that kind of show, we can say that here. Yeah, we can. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm really, really big on that reflection. Number one for the learning that, that happens. If you go, th if you blast through a challenging week or whatever, and you don't have a process for reflecting and trying to understand what it is that happened there that created that challenge and how you move through it, you are missing out on the most valuable opportunity that's right in front of you. You know, people go and they pay, they pay me 30,000. Yeah, well, that's what I want to ask you. I'm going to stop you because you're going to go on, but okay. listen, I'll stop. If, if someone knows, if someone knows or like that, they don't have that process, they're an entrepreneur, they've got employees under them, they have a team, they're, yeah. they probably think they're awesome leaders, they think they got all together, but they go home at night stressed out of their mind, or they have a hard time sleeping, or they uh, wake up at three in the morning and can't get back to sleep because their mind's racing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, you know, they, they have that tough week, they, they don't feel like those 
processes are in place, but they don't know where to start. They're already feeling overwhelmed. Can they reach, should they reach out to you? Exactly. You literally just described my avatar, my ideal client, that feeling of overwhelm when it feels like you go to your desk and you're spinning because things are pulling you in so many different directions. Mm. You're not really sure what is the greatest return on your time, or you just simply feel every single day that there's never enough of it. And it's so confusing because you started this business. You got yourself here. And at one point, this was a total dream, but now it's a monster and you don't know how to change it or make it different. And that I really, my job is to like come in and save all these businesses from these entrepreneurs that want to run away <laughs> yeah. um, because it can totally be better. And if you have a team in place, oh my gosh, we can shift it so much faster. Um, there, I have a process. I have, you know, um, she has I have, success stories. It's not just her you're saying, I yep. can do this. She's got plenty of entrepreneurs that are singing her praises um, and like not small ones. Like these guys have, crazy huge companies like and then down to small ones like mine where we have seven team members you know um she she's got it together for sure I, um yeah I don't give away all your secrets here they're going to reach out to you like <laughs> okay everyone needs <laughs> but, what you have but i believe you know i do believe in abundance and i do believe in sharing and so if you do reach out to me and call me i'm going to give you the absolute best that i have this you know true. in that time together and you can decide if that's something you want to continue or not yeah you guys want to continue, trust me. Um, so we, I think we covered like, you know, I'm looking at my, my questions here, by the way. Yeah. Um, it's clear how you can help the listeners, right? I mean, all the podcast guests that come on here should be hiring you without a doubt. Um, and everyone who stumbles on this on YouTube and everywhere else, they should be reaching out to Brittany and put, but you know what, Keaton, and- I'm, I'm super aware at this point in business that I'm not for everyone. I, totally appreciate your, your, you know, um, referral here, testimonial. Um, and I am grateful for it. I love working with you guys. Um, but at the same time, like, I know that, you know what, a lot of you guys listening right now are just totally not ready and that's fine. Um, I actually don't want to be for most people because that's exactly how I am so good for those other people. And, figuring that out that I don't want to be a generalist. Actually, I know what I'm awesome at and I know what my zone of genius is. And it's saying the thing that nobody else says to you as an entrepreneur, when you don't have that mentor, you don't have that person. Like I can, I can show you your blind spots. I can also create strategy for changing that. I happen to be a behavior expert and can show you how to do things to change the, you know, your team's performance in your own. Um, and one thing I'm always after is figuring out how to help you make more money, but work less in the process. Believe it or not, that is not for everyone or people are not necessarily in the place where they're ready to hear some of that stuff and open up and be challenged in that way. That's totally fine. I'm over trying to be for everybody, but when it's right, when it is that time, if you're thinking about it, you know, you should really step into it. If it scares you, then that's exactly where you should be going. Amen. Amen. What about your podcast? What about your podcast? You want to oh, put a little, I have a podcast, friend. That's right. if you're into the podcast thing. Um, it's called Eye Openers and started about, gosh, we're closing in on 18 months ago um, when I started doing interviews um, and then recently got it all cleaned up and produced and launched onto all your um, normal podcast channels, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. Um, 
Anchor, I believe, Stitcher, you know, we're out there. Um, it's called Eye Openers. And the reason why is number one, we're drinking coffee or, or your beverage of choice that helps wake you up and see those insights. But also I have really incredible um, business owners, leaders, um, entrepreneurs on that are talking about the challenges they have moved through in their journey and what opportunities they see in front of them. And it, the goal is that we create insight. We create eye-opening moments for you to see about your own business, your own leadership style, your own culture um, to help drive that change. When you're, when you're running your own business, you don't always have a group. You don't have a, you don't necessarily have a mentor. You don't have a place to hear these stories in the true candor, like there's so many places where you can hear the highlight reel, or you get to hear just the rosy rainbow story of it. I'm all about talking about the dark sides of leadership and entrepreneurship, because I know you're there. I know you're experiencing it. And so I wanted to create a place for entrepreneurs to land, to understand they're not alone in the struggle. And here are some ways others have moved through it, who are just a click or two in front of you. Yeah. So go follow and like and subscribe. Leave a review for her too if you guys go listen to it. Um, and where can they go follow you? Um, and, and because they want to, you're dropping nuggets on social media all the That's time. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, to uh, thanks to the help of Perpetual Motion Marketing, I have a pretty smooth social media going on. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Britt Drozd. You can find me on LinkedIn, which is a platform I'm super active on, Brittany Drozd. And I think there's only one of me, you know, I mean, obviously. But <laughs> I'm on YouTube as well. And I'm sharing my full length um, podcast interviews there. You can see the video version of it. And I do a lot of live stream interviews. So you can chime in, ask your questions, get feedback back and talk to these CEOs, these like tech entrepreneurs, these people who are running eight, sometimes nine figure businesses, like where else would you get access like that? So show up, come to the shows, ask your questions, get your insights and your eye openers. Awesome. We'll put all the links out there and everyone who's listening. I want to ask you guys, this show is free. I'm bringing awesome people like Brittany on here to give you guys some value, get access to it. Just like she has a whole show to, to do the same um, I just want to ask that if you, there's no payment here, your payment is go share this out to someone who needs it. If this episode wasn't for you, there's someone that you know that this episode's for. So share it out, subscribe, leave a review so we can get this up there and I can get some more awesome guests like Brittany and um, get you guys the information and knowledge that you need. Thank you so much for being on the show, Brittany. And until next time, keep it real. <laughs> Thanks, Keaton. Yeah.